Well, at least we know the World Series is not going to be a sweep. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Lockdown MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. As you can tell from my lower third, you can call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for well over a decade now, and I'm wrapping up my fifth full season here as a host of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's unbelievable it's been that long. Follow us at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter or whatever it's called now, and Instagram. Uh, follow me. I'm your pal, Simon Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Post your comments down below. And if you listen to the show every day, uh, put on the hashtag EverydaySully because I want to have an idea of who is listening to us each and every day. Hey, also... Remember that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150. I almost said ducks. If if your team wins, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. What would you do with 150 ducks? I don't know. I bet I could figure it out. Um, hey, uh, lots to talk about. Uh, World Series game two may not have been the thriller that it was in game one with the Rangers victory, but it a couple of things have shown that the Diamondbacks are in control right now. The Diamondbacks won a road World Series game for the first time in their existence, which leads us to the trivia question. Uh, a bunch of people wrote in answers. My favorite answer I got was from uh, Big John 08865. I think that's John Murphy Jr. Either way. Um, the, the, the question was, which Major League franchises have never won a road World Series game? Um, so Big John pointed it out. The Rockies are one. Absolutely correct. The Rockies have never won a World Series game. Their only time in the World Series, they got swept by the Red Sox. Uh, Also, you have the Mariners. That's two. The Mariners have never even played in a World Series. So naturally, they haven't won any on the road. Um, Arizona, which uh, was true when you wrote that. Uh, It's now not true. They won last night. Uh, The Padres. The Padres have never won a road World Series game. They've only won one World Series game in their history. It was game two of the 84 World Series where they won against the Tigers. The fact they had home field advantage, even though the Tigers were the best team in baseball, showed us how weird the World Series can be. Um, Then those are, let's see, Rockies, Padres, Diamondbacks, Mariners. There's four. Um... He has two other ones. Uh, the one I the the Twins are the fifth one. Uh, the Twins did not win a road playoff game in the 1965 World Series against the Dodgers, in the 87 World Series against 
the um, Cardinals and the World Series against the Braves in 91. He does make a good point that the Senators did. That franchise was originally the Senators, and the Senators won. And I did say franchise, so I'll have to give you that there. Um, And then there's the one which I – he put in the Rays because the Rays did not win any of the games in Philadelphia in the 2008 World Series, and the 2020 COVID was just weird. Nobody was on the road. Um, I'm not going to count the Rays because the they did win one of the games that was designated as a National League home game, and so I'm not going to include them. But the, the semantics are there, and maybe uh, maybe some people will uh, disagree with me on that. So, but the the so the Twins and the Rays are controversial answers. The Diamondbacks have been taken off the board, and the Rockies, Padres, and Mariners are no doubt. Okay, let's talk about the game. Good job, John. You got the trivia question, right? You can brag amongst your friends. Um, there's not as much to talk about as and to unpack in this game in terms of a thriller. Game one was a thriller. This was a blowout. And it was weird because the first half of the game, the final score or the, the score about the first half of the game didn't feel like it was indicative of what was happening. The Diamondbacks were dominating every aspect of the game over uh, over uh, Texas. But going to the seventh, it was only two to one. And I was thinking at that point, oh boy, the Rangers are going to win this game because it would be one of those games where one team just dominates the whole game, but the other t- side never pulled away. And I just saw in my head, they're going to hit a game-tying home run in the ninth. They would have to walk off, and all that frustration was going to continue. But unlike every other road World Series game played in Arizona Dimeback history, this team did the important thing, and that is they tacked on runs. They tacked on runs, and, you know, Cattell Marte, uh, you know, got, you know, he was just an unbelievable the postseason that he's having the player of the game offensively for Arizona was Tommy Pham. You know, Tommy Pham's day, and uh, he was oddly listed for a pinch hitter, but he went four for four and scored a pair of runs. Carroll uh, drove in a pair. Marte drove in a pair. Um, you know, Moreno homered. It's interesting. Pham had those four hits, but he was picked off at a key point in the game and when he got picked off, and he was picked off by like 35 feet, it just seemed like ridiculous how far he was and what an obvious pickoff it was. It was just, there was no need to replay on that. I don't think he wound up ever touching second base. And it ended a rally. It ended a moment where it looked like they might have had the, 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 the Diamondbacks might have had Jordan Montgomery on the hook. And they were warning, you know, the Rangers were warming up pitchers and everything like that. And Pham was on second base, and Montgomery spun around, threw to the second base, and boom, he was tagged. Now, the, to me, the funniest part of it, other than how just ridiculously caught he was, was uh, Heim, the catcher for the Detroit Tigers, uh, for the uh, uh, Texas Rangers. It's late, sorry. Uh, the, the Rangers catcher Heim, did you see his signal? For do the pickoff, 
Yeah, the secret signal, usually it's sort of like an indicator of going this. Did you see what Heim's uh, signal was to the pitcher to throw to second? It, it, see, it, it's subtle. It was, he was just pointing maniacally as if he was turning to Lou Costello, just sort of pointing. And then he turned around and Fan was still caught. When you didn't see the catcher doing the, ah, yeah, I bet, you know, pointing to second base. Nailed. And, you know, killed a rally. And the, you know, the it was not, it was still, remember, it was 2-1 going into the seventh inning. And then, you know, they scored, the, the D-back scored two in the seventh, three in the eighth, two more in the ninth. And the final score was nine to one. And and I kind of think the score didn't indicate what was happening twice in the same game. Going into the seventh with it being two to one, like, oh man, it's a razor th- thin thriller. I feel like, God, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like the Diamondbacks are just dominating them, but the score is only two to one. And then at the end of the game, it was nine to one. And like, oh man, the Diamondbacks blew them out. I said, but it didn't feel like they did. It felt like for two-thirds of the game, it was a tight game. So it's it's a weird schizophrenic game that happened there. But the main point was the Diamondbacks bounced back. The Diamondbacks uh, got the hits when they needed to get the hits. They poured it on when they needed to pour it on. And it was, well, it's a moment where they could take complete control of the series. Now, I mentioned Fam. But the real hero, actually, there were two real heroes of this game. The two real heroes were Merrill Kelly and Tori Lavolo, the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I'll explain why they're both the heroes in just a moment. Hey, look at it is football season. It is the time where many, many people are getting in to the NFL. And right now, new customers of FanDuel can get $150 in bonus bets. That's right. FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, is giving out bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you're thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel is an official partner of the National Football League. For the first time this decade, for the first time since Steven Strasburg pitched into the ninth inning of game six of the 2019 World Series, we've seen a pitcher go seven innings. Now, that doesn't sound like such a remarkable accomplishment, especially since we've been seeing clips of Jack Morris throwing 10 innings in game seven of the 1991 World Series. But it's a different era and it's a different era where pitchers don't go long, but today's game, Merrill Kelly went seven innings. Now I have been extraordinarily critical 
of Tori Lavolo and how he has been handling Merrill Kelly throughout this postseason. Sometimes it's bordered on the bizarre, where Kelly is pitching quite well, thank you very much, but there's one out in the sixth inning, so the, 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 that has been decree. That's all a pitcher can go. Well, this he's faced him twice. He can't face him a third time. But it scratches my head when I'm going, like, but he's pitching well. well. Why would you take out someone who's pitching well? And as I pointed out, had nausea in this postseason, when you bring in the parade of relief pitchers, you have to assume they're all going to do their job. You have to assume that each one does their job perfectly. And if you keep using the same pitcher night in and night out, eventually they wear down. I said, you know, when the way that he handled fought, the you know, when he was throwing a masterpiece and then they pulled him and then the announcers are like, oh, he's worried that the, the, you know, the Diamondbacks bullpen is gassed. Remember, I said, whose fault is that? You know, the idea of letting a pitcher pitch until they need relief has kind of gone away from you're only allowed to pitch X number of innings, which to me borders on the insanity, especially when we're seeing how worn out some of these bullpens are. So today, Kelly was throwing a shutout into the fifth inning. And I joked on Twitter or whatever the hell it's called now that they probably will pull him in the fifth. Now we let up a home run in the fifth and he got, he wiggled out of some trouble, but then he got out of the sixth inning and he was pitching quite well. Thank you very much. The one run he let up was a, uh, the, the home run that Garver hit and it was not a meatball. Garver did a good job hitting a low pitch. And sometimes you have to tip the proverbial cap. And Kelly was pitching wonderfully. And a big, 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 and did I mention big part of why the Rangers didn't make it more of a game was that Kelly didn't let up a walk. Sure, he let up three hits. One was the fluke home run. He let up two other hits, but he didn't walk anybody. The Rangers walked left and right in game one, but they didn't give them any base runners, which when you think about the fact that it was a one-run game going into the seventh, if he was just a little bit wild, it could have been a run here or run there. We're talking about a very different ball game. So Kelly pitched his six innings. And I remember thinking, come on, Lavola, come on. You're coming off of a game where, you know, I mean, you're coming off a game where you had to use the bullpen for a bunch of innings. You're coming off a game, a series where, you know, the relievers had to throw four or five innings every damn game. And think about it, That's what it means. You have to throw a reliever every game. And yesterday, Gatlin only, let, only went five innings. So you had Thompson and Manta play and, Ginkle and Seaweld, whoops, he wet the bed going into extras. In comes Nelson, in comes Castro. And I remember thinking while the game was going on, I said, bring him out for the seventh. Come on, let your pitcher pitch until he needs relief. And at that point, the 2-1 game had become a 4-1 game. I said, come on, Lavolo, don't just go by the book. See what's happening in the game. And he let him pitch. 
And look what happened. He pitched a scoreless seventh. And then the D-backs poured it on with a three-run eighth. And at that point, I was like, okay, yeah, okay, now you can give him relief. He's given you seven solid innings. Seven innings that you would ask from any starting pitcher in baseball. When you look at his final line, think about the starting pitchers in baseball right now. And you say any pitcher would have gone set in a World Series game, seven innings, three hits, one run on a fluke solo homer, zero walks, nine strikeouts. There is not a Cy Young contender out there that you would not be happy with having that line. And now comes Saul Bank to throw in, in the uh, eighth inning. And because we can't have a game where I don't slap my forehead over a pitching change in this postseason with one out and nobody on and a nine to one lead, they made a pitching change. I'm thinking like either bring in a starting, either bring in a pitcher to throw the ninth or have the schmuck throw the final two innings. What are we doing? Like, Oh boy, gotta, you know, did they bring in the, the reliever? Well, who was, who was the reliever? It was, a. uh, was it Frias? Did he hand him the ball? Said, "Okay, hold him, hold him to seven runs." But I give Lavallo credit; he managed to the situation. He managed knowing that this is a World Series game, not a game against the Rockies in the middle of July. He managed saying that you have a fresh pitching staff, so you can play in the postseason with a healthy pitching staff, but let's look at the situation. I'm sure all the numbers and the analytics, and I can't stress enough, I am not an anti-analytics person. Analytics are just, is information you use, the data you use to make informed decisions. But an informed decision can also be what's happening in this game. And so instead of the parade of relievers, instead of let's burn this reliever or that reliever, you got seven strong. The bullpen basically got the night off because what Saul Frank and Frias threw were not exactly stressful innings. And everyone else got the night off. They're going to have a day off tomorrow. The entire bullpen is going to be absolutely fresh. And that's a big thing going into game three. Why? Ironically, because of Max Scherzer. Now, normally, if you're going to hand the ball to a pitcher and think and think like, okay, save the season, and you hand it to a future Hall of Famer, normally you would think that would be a win for that team. But the Diamondbacks know they're going home and they're facing a Max Scherzer who has not been effective this postseason. This is not Max Scherzer, the Cy Young candidate. This is older Max Scherzer coming back after an injury, wanting to make sure that he can help be part of this Rangers championship. This is not even Max Scherzer who got the check swing against the Giants in 2021. So the Diamondbacks know if they hand over the ball to, to uh, you know, uh, Fott, Fott, can never pronounce the name right. Fott's going to be throwing game three. He, we all saw he was lifted from his masterpiece against the Phillies. But at this point, oddly, this is a weird sentence to say, Fott is the better pitcher in the situation now than Scherzer. And they are going to have a completely rested and ready bullpen. 
things are set up to play in Arizona's favor if they can jump on a not 100% Max Scherzer and put the Rangers in a 2-1 hole. And they'll do so with a bullpen that's ready to go. And darn it, Lavolo, have a little faith in your starting pitcher and let the pitcher go until they need relief, not when they're dictated relief. Look what happened. I got all over you on how you handled Kelly, even though it's tough to get over a manager who has managed an underdog team to at least, at the worst-case scenario, game five of the World Series. However, let the pitcher pitch until they need relief. That's what happened today. He threw seven terrific innings. And then, do you know what? Now we can go to the pen. This isn't about letting him pitch till his arm falls off. It was clear after seven innings, all right, they had scored some insurance runs. There was no need to push it. But there was a little bit of a need to push it. Even when it got to 4-1, it was like, no, 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 no. Don't bring in the clown car. Let that pitcher get through. Now, if Kelly let up a couple of big hits or a big bomb, okay, fine. Then you bring in relief. That's why they're called relief pitchers, not scheduled pitchers. So, Lavolo, I commend you. I've gotten on you, but now I've got to give you credit where credit's due. And Kelly, who's come up big this postseason, looked like a postseason hero today. That's not a bad thing. So we are going to see what happens with the pitching staff. Uh, you know, the, the Rangers also avoided using a lot of their their big pitchers because they know that they're going to need all hands on deck, especially if Scherzer doesn't look good early. you got to go to Haney. you got to go to Dunning or whoever you're going to go who will hopefully give you more than one inning. You know, every once in a while, someone – does something, whether it's in sports or whether it's in the arts or whatever, where something appears to be innovation. But what it really is is just embracing something old. I remember when Ichiro became the big star he did in the early 2000s. He was playing a brand of baseball that was going against the grain of everybody else. He was playing small ball. He was playing bunts. He was playing speed and stolen bases in the peak of the steroid era where everything was just about just walk get on base and be a human being on base so that home run is a three-run homer or a grand slam instead of a solo shot and there was Ichiro playing that you know that fast paced ball which you saw from teams like you know I grew up with teams like the Cardinals in the 80s that played that the artificial turf ball you know, a lot of teams have played with speed earlier on. You know, the Cardinals of the 60s did and the Dodgers of the 60s did as well. And it wasn't that it was a new thing in baseball. It was just bringing back something old. And it was uh, it was kind of a revelation because it went against the grain. Sometimes even like in the creative arts or in, in pop culture, someone just brings back something. And it catches everyone off guard because, like, oh, people who do still like that. You know, when everything was depressing and anti-heroes in the 70s, George Lucas said, hey, I'm going to do an old-fashioned good guys versus bad guys type of movie. 
and became Star Wars. People seem to like it. I remember uh, in the late 1990s when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire came back and became this huge sensation. And there's a lot of people going, wow, I've never seen anything like this. I'm going, it's a game show. We grew up on game shows. But you know what? It was sort of a dormant thing that woke up and suddenly something old became new again. A team is going to eventually go against the grain in baseball. I've said before that cutting back of innings and also cutting back on established closers has more to do with economics than it does with Moneyball and sabermetrics and analytics and all that stuff. It's starting pitchers are an expensive commodity. And so having pitchers throwing 200 innings, especially when it's, they're fragile, do you know what? You're better off just having them pitch five innings and have a parade of relievers because you save money that way. And you save money not having an established closer because why pay one person an extraordinary fee to save 40 games when you can have a bunch of people so you can spread those uh, saves all around like chips on a roulette table. But some team is going to say, hey, what if we start developing our pitchers, our starting pitchers, to go seven, eight, or even nine innings? What if we did that? What if we bring up our pitchers where they don't automatically think, all right, second time through the oars, last time through, but instead figure out, okay, how do we get through that third time in the order? Because a strong starting pitching staff where you average, what, six some odd innings a game, six innings a game over, uh, you know, 30 starts, that's not even 200 innings. I'm not even asking people to go back to the days where pitchers were throwing 300 innings. But some team is going to look up and say, what if we push our, our starting staff to go 200 innings, to have a, two or three pitchers in our staff to do that, and also develop a bullpen that has their set roles? We've seen in some of the teams that have the best pitching staffs I've ever seen have a combination of pitchers who go six, seven innings and reliable relievers who pitch their eighth, you know, seventh, eighth, and ninth. A strong bullpen can make sure a good rotation is effective, but a rotation that goes deep in the game will make sure that strong bullpen isn't gassed by the time we get to October. Some team is going to embrace that, embrace the work, the workhorses. You know, are we going to see a staff like we saw with the Orioles? I don't know, in the 70s or the Braves in the 90s? Maybe. Maybe. The whole idea that pitchers are more fragile now, they're throwing the ball faster, but maybe you develop them. So, yeah, they throw the fastballs and everything, but... You also have more breaking balls. You also, you know, learn to pitch instead of learning how to throw. I know this sounds like I'm saying being old man Sully here, but I'm not. I'm actually saying there will be a team that says, hey, let's have our pitchers go longer than five. Maybe our bullpen won't be looking like they've just crossed the Mojave Desert by the time we get to October. And it doesn't mean leaving pitchers out there and doing what Billy Martin did in the early 80s to the A's staff where he just blew all their arms out because he was having to throw complete games every year, 
you know, every single game. No. As I said, there is a middle ground between Grady Little leaving Pedro Martinez out on the vine and Kevin Cash lifting uh, uh, Snell in the middle of a masterpiece in the World Series. Some team is going to do that. Use their farm to develop pitchers that go six, seven innings instead of just assuming they're wrapping it up after five. And that team is going to stun baseball because they'll find something old and make it new again. Mark my words, some team will do it. But we're going to stick to talking about the World Series. Uh, This episode is dropping on Sunday. I'm probably not going to have an episode dropping on Monday until after the game. So uh, look out for that. Let's talk about the trivia question. The 2001 World Series was one of the great World Series of all time. So many dramatic games, and the Diamondbacks won it. It was not an offensive series in terms of big offensive stars. The Yankees had a hard time hitting, and the Diamondbacks didn't exactly light up the board with their offense as well. Which Diamondbacks regular who played seven games in the seven-game World Series was the only regular to have an OPS over 1,000 and the only regular player to play all seven games to hit above 300? Which everyday player of the Diamondbacks played all seven games of the World Series was the only one to bat over 300 and have an OPS over 1,000. That is your trivia question for today. But follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and Instagram. And please, please mention us down here on YouTube. If you listen to us every day, please put on the hashtag EverydaySully. Happy that we're not going to have a sweep. And this World Series is going to go to at least a game five. This has been Locked On MLB for, well, it's probably going to drop on the 29th day of October 2023. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.